Hi, you are listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Ephesians 2.1? Um, so we're going to read from uh, Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1, until verse 10. And uh, if you want to follow along with me, you can do that. I'm reading from the NLT, or the New Living Translation. Um, and um, it goes something like this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil and the commander of the powers of in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Right? So people that choose to rebel against God this passage is saying that the enemy actually works in their heart, right? All of us used to live that way. So it's not just them. Before we came to Christ, we too used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very own nature, we were subjected to God's anger, just like everyone else. So it kind of shows the problem that we had this sort of inclination to go and kind of go with our desires, our passions, but the enemy was working through that, right? And because of, of this, we were sitting against God, and God, uh, God's anger, rather, was against us, right? Number four, it says this, but God is so rich in mercy that He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point, listen to this, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of our incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Number eight, God saved us by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this gift. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So no one can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Isn't that amazing? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. What a powerful verse. Amen? Amen. Good job, guys. That's awesome. Well, um, I'm just impressed that you guys are very responsive. Uh, normally, it's like, how you guys are doing? I'm fine. Great. You guys are responsive today. I know it's been a long day with fathers. Uh, I actually went and uh, saw my nephews and my nieces, and man, I just got attacked. Uh, <laughs> um, from every single like, corner of the house, I got attacked. <laughs> but I escaped with no injury, so I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, it's been great. Uh, but I think if you, I think it's one thing to, to go to your, you know, and play with your nephews. Uh, normally, they can get over it pretty quickly. Um, there's this one. She's my, is there such a thing as a grandnephew <laughs> or grandniece? <laughs> my niece has a daughter, okay? That's crazy. Actually, has a daughter and a son. Like, what? 
and her name is Diana, and like she's kind of scared of me. I don't know. Like I was gonna post on Instagram, but like, every single time I would chase her, she would cry. So, um, <laughs> but she <laughs> but she's just the most adorable thing ever. And uh, yeah, I, I, what I love about kids is that they don't really hold grudges. And I think once you kind of get to know them, um, they're cool from that point on, and they love you. And every single time they they see you, they have a tendency to jump on you. But um, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Kids don't usually hold grudges. They don't go for days on being bitter, right? Like, they just get over things pretty quickly. Um, but I think for us, sometimes we like to have a pity party. We like to hold grudges. We like to be bitter. You know, um, <laughs> if you don't think this is true, I know at least one of you <laughs> here, probably more than that. You know, like when you, ha when you have an argument with someone, <coughs> and you kind of are really angry at them, and you could say that you, could, you might even hate them, but then they're kind to you, and you're like, no, no, you, you shouldn't be kind to me right now, it, it, right? Like, you, you're like, no, this, no, like, this is not over, right? Like, I'm not done being mad at you. Like, you've had that before. No? Really? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I did, not, I did not plan for that one. <laughs> but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like when you have moments where you're like, oh, I'm not done being mad at you. Like I like to be mad. I like to have a pity party. Give me a few days. I'll it'll blow over. But for now, I'm mad at you. And like them ha being kind and nice to you or giving gifts is not exact, doesn't help the situation here. It, 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 and I think my theory, you know why we like doing that? Because we like that person to react or overreact, so then our anger can be justified. But right now, if I'm mad at them, they're kind to me, and they're loving towards me, my anger is not justified, and I, can't, I have to let it go. I have to die to that anger, yeah. right? So, so we like to kind of constantly try to play some kind of argument. We try to, to get them to be mad at us because we like to justify that, hey, the way I'm acting right now, it's, it's for a good reason even though you know that you should get over it, right? Like I remember specifically, I went to a uh, Levensworth trip uh, in the middle of the winter with some of my friends and somehow they didn't, you know how like when you go on a trip, uh, you have like five people with you, four people with you and the driver. And you know how they go like they count heads to make sure that they don't leave anybody behind? Oh uh, yeah, you guys don't do that. Nobody does that. You know, and like when you have five people, like four people in your car, you know if everyone's in the car or not. Turns out they didn't account for me, and they left me. <laughs> <a l> <laughs> they left me Leavenworth, <laughs> and and I was just like, I thought I contributed to the conversation on the way there. Like I thought <laughs> I was, I thought I was like part of this friendship group, and somehow they left me there, and I was just, I was mad. And then somehow I got a ride with, uh, I went up to this other friend group that I had. And uh, I went, I, hey, can you take me home? I'm like, well, we don't really have room, but since you were left behind, like, <laughs> you know, we'll take you. And the whole time I'm driving on the way back and I'm thinking like, I'm just, I'm just mad, right? Like I'm thinking like, and this is, I'm like 16, 17 at this time, right? And uh, I didn't know what I know today, but like, you know, I was just mad. And I was like, how, like, how dare this guy? Like, he's supposed to be my friend. And, and, and then he left me. Like, how do you, like, leave a person? Like, how do you just sort of leave, right? Well, 
you know how you don't know the other story? So you're just always kind of like thinking all this stuff, right? Well, this was, I think this was on Sunday. Um, so on Wednesday, I believe, uh, about three days after, this guy that left me at um, Leavenworth, he, we're supposed to go, um, you know how you go with, oh, I don't know how to say it, like when you go with like Caroline, there you go. And we were supposed to, to go, and this guy's like, can I jump in, with in, ca- in the car with you? And I'm like, sure. You know, <laughs> so he jumps in and I'm driving and he's like, bro, actually, the reason I wanted to come with you is because I wanted to apologize. But I've been storing this for like three days. So it's like, uh, uh-uh. like, <laughs> no, <laughs> we have a problem right now. And I'm like, how, like, what kind of friends are you? And I just go off on a rant. Right. And this guy is just trying to talk to me. And then he goes and then I, he says something that I'll never forget. And he's like, bro, the whole reason I came here is because I'm wrong and I wanted to apologize to you. Right? Like, he's like, I, I get it. Like, that was wrong. Somehow we just, you know, left and then, you know, like, I can't even explain the situation how that happened, but it just happened. It's like, and the whole reason I came here is because I wanted to apologize and make it better. The ho- that's the whole reason I'm, I came here. And I was like, well, I guess we're fine then. Like, right? But like, you, you just kind of want to hold on to that. Like, that, out of all the, you know how you plan like, the responses in your head? Right? Like out of all the responses that I planned in my head, I didn't anticipate for that one. Right? And that was just weird. You know, and I realized, okay, but the problem is not necessarily because I think all of us make mistakes. We always have failed someone. Maybe we didn't show up or we're supposed to show up. We, we failed people. And, and I'm no better than that person. Of course, I still don't understand the full justification of why that left me, but like, but still, like, we all make mistakes. And I think it's so easy to extend grace to ourselves, but it's so hard to extend grace to other people. But I think what makes matters worse, I think we take the same approach when it comes to God. I, I, in my experience, at least talking to people who have made atheism a lifestyle, you know, you would think it'd be a logical issue, but usually it's some kind of emotional issue. It's usually saying, well, I was a Christian and then my mom died and, and, you know, I couldn't account for that. What kind of God will allow my, my mom to die? Like, for example, Christopher Hitchinson, which is an atheist, well, he died of cancer, but he said that his, his mom, he, he describes it in this really awesome way. He says, my mom was a splash of color in an otherwise gray world, right? So, so his mom was such a, like, lively thing to the house, and then she committed suicide. And then he's just, like, he never grew up. And by the way, his brother became a Christian, and went one way, and then he, uh, Chris, uh, Christopher Hitchinson went completely the other way, and he wrote so many like articles and books on, on you know, atheism and all that, completely the other way. And it's not because it was logical issues. Now he uses logic to justify it, but he started with an emotional issue. And a lot of times, I think when it comes to God, we, we feel this idea that like, we come to God and like, God, you, you did not come through for me. You left me when I needed you the most. God, you, you, my, my family needed you the most in that moment, and you just left us. And we sort of have these grudges on God, right? Where we're like, well, I would be a better Christian if it wasn't for my youth pastor. He's not very nice. I mean, I, don't, I was talking about a different <laughs> youth pastor. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, we make excuses of why we are not walking closer with the Lord. I would be closer with the Lord if he wasn't for my church. I'd be closer with the Lord if this wouldn't have happened in my childhood. You don't understand what I've been going through. Yeah, well, 
All of us can say that, can we? The reason I'm pointing to this is because I think we have to re- remind ourselves of what's really happening here. Every single time I talk to someone, they're like, well, Slavik, you know, the way I am is because of this hurt in my life. And I look at them, I'm like, bro, in general, life is not an extremely pleasant experience. We know that the whole universe is under this curse of sin. And we're dealing with sin, we're dealing with sickness, we're, de- we're dealing with evil disease, we're dealing with rape and murder, we deal with lying and cheating and stealing, we, we deal with all of this. There's a lot of brokenness in our world. I think all of us can agree. We, we are dealing with, with you know, anger and hate and all these things are not exactly pleasant to go through. And if, and if by chance we get some friends that love us, that is... That is an amazing thing. If by chance we have a family that's somewhat functional, that is an amazing thing. If by chance we have water and food, if by chance we don't, you know, a lot of people didn't get to get like born because they were aborted. A lot of people, they didn't get to live to our age because they died with malaria and all the other things they, they, they have in Africa and all these third world countries. Right? So, so I think if we look at the dysfunctions, it's so easy to get cynical. But if we look at the blessings, it's so easy to be thankful. Right? So when it comes to God, we can look at God and say, well, God, you won this war. We can look at God and say, you know what? Every single blessing in my life came from him. And I know that, that you know, there are certain things I do not understand. For example, I don't understand why... Our, like my parent died, like my dad died earlier than expected. When I see people 74, 75, and I know that my dad died at 50, I think it was 62, I think, 62. Like, how? I don't understand why somebody's parents were, well, why somebody got molested, or, you know, I don't understand all of that. But the worst thing we can do is to take that and blame it on God. You know why? Because if there's anyone who brought hope and grace, it is Him. He stepped, he stepped into an otherwise dark world. So when people go around and say, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Arsis Prolov, how he puts, Arsis Paul puts it, says, there is no such a thing. There's no such thing as a good person. We had one, his name was Jesus, and we crucified Him. All of us, if we were given what we deserved, right? If we were given according to our own works, no, we'd be dead by that now. And people say stuff like, why doesn't God just remove all the evil from the world? Because uh, evil lives inside every single one of us, and he, he, would have to, he would have to kill every single one of us, right? So God tried that with Noah, not this one, Noah, the one in the Bible. <laughs> all right, like God tried that with Noah, and we all know how it ended up with eight people, and then they still, you know, evil still continued living in them. So I love how Isaiah puts it. He says, For since the world began, no ear, uh, Isaiah 64 4, if you want to open, no ear has heard and no eyes has seen a God like you 
who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways. But you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? Question mark. We are all infected with the impure uh, and impure with sin. We, uh, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. So Isaiah the prophet is saying, who can save us? This is before Jesus came, right? And he says, who can save us? Our righteous word uh, works are like filthy rags. Now, obviously, we are capable of doing things that are very righteous. When the Holy Spirit works through us, we can do things that are righteous. But what is talking about here is not all righteous things. It's, it's things that we think are important in our lives, but they're nothing when it comes to God. It's people that declare themselves to be extremely good. And God's like, yeah, what about the lying? What about the stealing? What about the pretends? What about the, the, the adultery in your head when you look lustfully upon people? What about the hate in your heart when, when, when you have that? That's murder inside of you. Things that as people, we feel like, oh, I'm good. And God's like, no, you don't know me. You, you think you're good because you don't do these things, but in your heart, it's just as wicked as everybody else. So needless to say, I think when we talk about why, I mean, why do I want to stay angry at my friend? Why do I want to continue on my pity party? Why do I choose the wicked and evil way instead of saying, hey, you know what? God forgave me. You know why? Because I can't. I can't in my own strength get over my anger. I can't in my own strength get over my lying and my cheating and my all these things that are of, are of the heart. I, I can't do any of that. If you try to change yourself by fleshly means, in other words, if you try to use self-help to change yourself. Now, I think when it comes to business, when it comes to certain tasks, right? Like the Bible doesn't talk about how to fix your car, right? Like there's certain things that you can learn from business, but if you are trying to spiritually fix yourself, uh, fix your health, fix yourself spiritually, right? With self-help, it's not going to work. The way we fix ourselves is by having Jesus fix us. The way we fix ourselves is by spiritual means. You know why I shouldn't stay angry at my brother? Because God is not staying angry with me. When I understand his love towards me, when I understand his forgiveness towards me, when I understand that God himself, out of all people, he could be the one who says, you know what? You're in debt to me. But he doesn't. That is what's so amazing. Now, I know that when we look in the Old Testament, I want you to listen to this. Like when we go through Old Testament, then we see things like when we talk about running with the giants, right? Like we talk about David. Well, David was just man of God. You're like, man, I don't know if I can be like David. He seems like, yeah, he had his faults and all that, just like me. But then he had all these other things. I mean, I don't know how to, so like, I don't know how to write songs. He wrote a whole book of Psalms. Like, this is amazing. 
I can never compare myself to David. I'm like, unless you're a worshiper, you might. Julian, take that up, right? Like, right? Like, it's, <laughs> right? Like, you might be able to compare. I can't compare myself to David, even though I look up to David, right? It's so hard to go to Joseph and says, this guy seems like he's not doing anything right. I mean, wrong. I'm not doing anything right, it seems. He doesn't do anything wrong. He, he's just like, his family sells him to slavery. He's like, okay. Like, what? Right? Like, I could never be okay with that. But then you come across <coughs> this, this, this lady in the Old Testament, in Joshua 2, and there's just so much that I, and I don't have time to go th- into all of that, but you can, you can read about her at home. She's a Canaanite. This is, this Joshua 2 is Moses delivers the Israelites from the land of slavery into the promised land of Canaan. And as they get to the city after 40 years, 40 some years, right, they're obviously tired. And God says, okay, you're gonna, you see this, this city, I'm gonna give to you, right? So take some spies and then send these men to go and spy on the land that I'm gonna give you. And obviously they don't know anybody there. And then they go into the city as, uh, as spies. And they encounter this lady. Her name is Rahab. We also know, know her as Rahab the harlot, or in modern-day terms, um, Rahab the prostitute. And as they go into her house, she starts to, even though she's a Canaanite, she's not an Israelite, she's a Canaanite, right? And not only that, she's a prostitute. If there's one person you don't want to do business with, it's most likely her. Right? And she's part of the enemy. Right? But then she hears that, hey, this God that I don't know much about is moving in the camp of the Israelites. And I want to have what they're having. I want the same faith to be in me. So she takes these spies in her house. And as they talk, the king or the authorities, they send for these people saying, hey, I heard you, you have some spies in your house. And she lies. She hides him. Her great achievement was a lie. Like, what? So you're a Canaanite, you're a prostitute, and your achievement in the Bible is you lied. Great. Wow, your work's amazing. But then, you know, she saves these spies. They come back, and when they come to take this city, she and her whole household is saved because of this one act and she becomes an amazing woman of God. You know how I know that? Because she's mentioned in Hebrews, which is the hall 11, which is the hall of faith, right? Like, you know how there's hall of fame when it talks about Abraham had faith and, and Samson had faith. And, and then, you know, you come to Hebrews eleven thirty one says, it was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Her accomplishment in life was to lie about the spies that came to her, but she believed in the God that the Israelites talked about. Right? And then we see in Matthew 1 5 this crazy verse, in, uh, verse that says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed 
who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, who Jesus came from that lineage. What an amazing restoration to your family name. You went from being a prostitute, a Canaanite, and your accomplishment in life was lying. And now you're the, you're the, you're the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth, who, you know, had a son whose name was Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. What an amazing turn of events. What I'm trying to tell you is God went after this lady when she had nothing to offer. What I want to tell you is that God came and in His grace extended His grace to a person that had no, no credentials, that had no credentials when it comes to how good she is. And her goodness scale, she was a zero, probably a negative. And God extended his grace and whole family tree changes. Right, so when we talk about Jesus and coming impacting your life, Jesus can come and change everything around in your life. You don't need to be very eloquent. You don't have to be very educated. You know, <laughs> you see so many times in the Old, in New Testament, it talks about how Peter was just a fisherman. You know, Paul was somewhat le learned. He was actually one of the great philosophers that we look back now. But like, you look at some of the heroes in the Bible, they were not very educated. They were not very important. Yet God extended his grace. What I want to tell you is it's not how good you are. It's how you encounter God's grace. So when... Here we have, um, when, when God says in Ephesians 2, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for that or for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, when we talk about salvation being a gift, I, I love gifts, but I'm a minimalist and I hate stuff. So there's obviously a lot of time, there's, there's a lot of conflict there, right? Like, because I feel a lot of times when people give me a gift that I really didn't like need, I feel like I can't get rid of it because then, you know, like my roommate gave me a... Um, for my birthday, this was long ago, gave me a goldfish. <laughs> and after spending a lot of time trying to clean after the goldfish, um, I decided to let it go. So, um, uh, so speaking of which, <laughs> and then he, he wasn't Vlad, by the way, FYI. I just felt I really need to confess that. Um, <laughs> So when people give me stuff, I'm just kind of like, so just keep that in mind. Um, like, I love gifts that I really, really need. But when, yeah, thank you. Yeah. But the point I'm trying to say, guys, is when somebody gives you a gift, it could be when, when my niece or my nephew comes and gives me a, a, a piece of paper that they turn into a card that's worth about probably 25 cents, if that, Right. But I don't look at that gift and I'm like, oh my gosh, couldn't you spend something better? Like, couldn't you just give me something better than that? No, I don't, I don't, I don't say that. When she made me a card, 
I'm like, oh, that's so nice. And I actually, I'm genuinely, you know, thankful for her spending her time doing that for me. Right? The greatest gifts are when, you know, because my niece, she doesn't have a job. She's like very young. So she can't have money to buy you stuff. But she puts effort in giving gifts. Right? So, so when it comes to gifts, the best gifts are when the giver makes the greatest sacrifice to fulfill your greatest need. Right? Like you don't go around and you buy engagement rings to your coworkers because that'd be weird unless you really want to marry your coworker. But normally, if somebody said, hey, you know, I have a birthday, you're like, oh, I'm going to get you a $3,000 engagement ring. Like that is just weird. Don't do that. Right? Like you don't buy things like that to your coworker. But if you got the same gift that you got your coworker, your fiance, you're probably in trouble. Right? So your gifts are based on the relationship that you have. One, the second thing is that the best kind of gifts is when the giver gives the greatest sacrifice or makes the greatest sacrifice to fulfill your greatest need. You can make a great sacrifice, but if I don't need, you know, a juicer, That'd be great, but I'm just saying, if you don't need a juicer, <laughs> right, then it doesn't matter what kind of sacrifice you've done because I don't need that, right? If I need some, if, if I really need something, but you have made a sacrifice to fulfill that need and you're like, oh, you know, I was just walking dollar store and I found this random thing and I thought you might need it. And you're like, no, you don't even know me. I don't need that. Like, what am I going to need a dog thing when I don't have a dog, right? Like, or... This is, you guys get the point over here, right? The greatest gift is when you make the greatest sacrifice to fulfill the receiver's greatest need. And if you look in the, the Bible, Old and New Testament, God has been doing that. He didn't have to give us life. He didn't have to create us, but he did. You know, he made a great sacrifice for us to... He, he, he molded us out of, out of clay and breathed into us. And then when we messed up, he didn't have to send redemption. But he did. And he knew that we don't need a nice Porsche. We don't need a nice car. We need it. We need a salvation. Right? We need a salvation. He gave us what we, Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those other stuff. But he knew that our greatest need was salvation. He didn't come to, to make sure that you're comfortable. He came that you might know him. He, he didn't come that you might look nice. If you can't look nice, that's great. But he came that you might know him and you might have life and life eternal. That's, that's why he came. And, and then when Jesus left, he didn't leave us alone. He sent us the Holy Spirit. So in my view, God has always been giving only the best of gifts. He's been giving us life when he didn't have to. He's been giving us redemption. He sent his son to redeem us from sin, to endure the cross. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit, a part of him to dwell inside of us. That, that is amazing. So for us to go around and say things like, well, I'm kind of mad at God because God wouldn't have... I don't know why bad things happen. What I do know is God has been good. 
And, and we can either focus on the things that don't work in our lives, or we can look at the things that God has been giving us. So if you have a friendship, you have a friend, maybe dial back on your expectations a bit. Nobody owns us anything. If there's anything we deserve, it's to be, it's to be punished for our sin. So if we get great friendships, that is because of God's grace. And if we have money, to, that, that's because God made us a blessing to be a blessing, but ultimately it's because of Him. And if we are comfortable, it's because of Him. If we're not comfortable, maybe God wants us to grow a little, right? And that's still His grace working. And when He convicts us and doesn't feel good, maybe you don't feel good, but it's still His grace that leads us to repentance. That is the amazing thing about the gospel. It's not for our comfort. It's not for our things. It's not any of those things. It's for us to do the good things that God planned for us to do from way ago. So I want to tell you this is that, now how do, I, how do you take this and make it practical? Right? How, this is a lot of theology here, but how do I make it practical? You make it practical by understanding that God didn't come. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in his uh, kind of like a novel, he calls it Screwtape Letters, where an older demon is giving advice to a younger demon. He says the enemy, which is to them, that's God, right? Like, says God didn't come to ravish, he came to woo. You know, he could have just snapped into perfection, but he doesn't do that. He could have slapped you every single time you did a sin. Or he, like I thought that every single time I would repent, he got, God's going to just strike me with lightning. He can do that, but he doesn't. What he opts for is to woo you into a relationship. Is, is to bring you into a relationship with him by you knowing how good he is. I love this verse in Romans 6, 1, 4. Um, says this, well then, actually Romans 2, 4, I'm sorry. Don't you see how wonderful, kind, and tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? I feel like they would have actually yelled this question out right? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? God, Apostle Paul here is saying to the Romans, says, don't you understand, don't you see how kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Doesn't this mean anything to you? This was meant for you to turn away from your sin. So the first thing that I want you to understand practically is to lower your expectations and say, because I'm loved here, because God, I can constantly be pouring out here regardless of what they do. Because God is not angry with me, I will no longer be angry with people. Because God is not bitter at me, I will not be bitter at people. Because God came into my world when I was broken, I will step out into the, the, the people that have a broken world. Because God himself made himself uncomfortable to reach me, I'm going to make myself uncomfortable to reach, uh, you know, my generation. Because God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me, I can go and die to my pride, die to my ego, and serve the people in my church, serve the people in my city, serve the people around me at school and work and so on and so forth. It starts with understanding his love towards us. His goodness moving and flowing through us. I, one thing that I'm really passionate about is to raise up leaders in this church, to see pastors, evangelists, and people leading ministries. God knows this is the thing that I've been praying. I hope that some of you 
are becoming better, better speakers, better pastors, better evangelists than I'll ever be. I really hope that. I really hope that God raises up people in this church. But you can't do ministry on empty. You can't go around when you yourself are empty. Ministry should be done out of the overflow. One of the things that I, I do a lot is, even today I was driving out, I'm like, Lord, I have no message. Lord, I, what am I preaching tonight about? I'm driving from my mom's house. I'm thinking like, Lord, I need, an, like one thing that I've learned, I don't want to ever get up here unless I have a burden. You know, the old timers call it an unction, right? You know, like a burden, right? Like, I'm like, I never want to go up there if I don't have a message. I don't want to waste people's time. I can't pour out if I'm on empty. Lord, give me a message. This has to be from you. This has to be a message that I'm not bored with. Something that I, I have a burden to speak it no matter what until I got home and I was just like, it was weird. I have no message. And I, I sit in front of the computer and I'm like, Lord, I need a message right now. This is your people. The spotlight is on you. And I'm just start type, typing on my computer and I'm like, what is this coming from? I'm like, what is going on? And then coming here, I'm just thinking like, Wow, this is so amazing. Just literally half an hour ago, I was wondering like, how, what am I going to say tonight? And it's not like I have been ignoring this. I've been thinking the whole week. I'm like, Lord, I need a message. I mean, and I've been praying about it, but nothing just, and I'm just like, why? And I wish God wouldn't do this. Like I, w I wouldn't, like I wish that God would not leave me until the last minute to try to put, like it's just weird. I'm like, why can't I have this like two weeks ago? Like that would be nice. You have to do ministry out of an overflow. When there's a burden that I have to say this, otherwise I can't sit down, I can't shut up, I can't do it until I say this. This is when ministry becomes real. It's like, oh, guys, oh, I'm supposed to say something. Oh, all right, well, I... And of course, like, that's going to come with the experience as you hear the Lord and he, he opens up to you and obviously you'll still be nervous. I still get really nervous, but my hope is that you get a burden. So that's the second thing. Understand his burden that he had to carry and his love towards you. And out of that, out of that goodness, out of, that's a thing, right? Like, like out of that goodness, out of that grace, out of that mercy, then you start to flow in ministry and you start to overflow unto others. And that's how we intended. I hope that if you have a bad day and you have nothing to say and you're scheduled, just tell me and sit down and say, hey, you know what? I... I don't have anything. I'm probably going to try to make you, but anyway, yeah. like I'm still repenting of that, right? Like, <laughs> guys, it has to be like that. You can't give something you don't have. You can't ministering on empty. And the last point that I want to mention is this, that we, once we understand his goodness, the things he's done towards us, and then we take that and we walk in this and we start spreading out, that doesn't mean that you will not encounter problems. That doesn't mean that you will not have troubles. You will be surrounded by it. The enemy is gonna go after you. I, my mentor called me like this week and he's like, so how's your fast going? You know, and I'm like, well, I feel like the enemy is after me with the kitchen sink. You know, he started laughing because <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. Every single time you're, you're, you're preparing for ministry, the enemy is gonna try and try to destroy you. But the, the way you persevere is by walking in the Spirit daily. By asking Him for advice when you have no idea. So many times I'll, I'll, like I'll be 
you know, in counseling sessions with someone and they're like, hey, what, what do I should, what should I do in this, what should I do in this kind of like situation? And you're like, uh-huh. And you're listening and you have, you're empty, you have nothing. And you're like, Lord, if you don't, if you don't say something right now, like they're going to think I'm weird because I'm like, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, Lord, if you don't move right now, like I have nothing. And they're like, so what do you think? And I'm like, I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, literally, like I'm thinking like, what am I saying? And then I don't know where something starts speaking out and you're like, oh, this is good. And I'm like, I, haven't, I didn't even know this before. That's because it wasn't you. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through you. You know, it, it amazes me when it says that to the apostle says, don't worry about what you're going to say. When you're in front of the authorities, I will give you what to say. That is what God has called us. Is to understand His amazing grace and goodness and what He's done for us. Then extend that over. Like, I love this phrase. I don't know what I heard it, but love embraced becomes love extended. Right? Grace embraced becomes grace extended. Right? And then every single time you're up against resistance, up against a problem, you're like, Holy Spirit, I need you in this moment like never before. You speak through. A lot of times when I go and I, maybe there's a conflict or I talk to someone, right? Like I don't go preparing there. Like I used to be doing that at 16. Like they're going to say this, I'm going to say this, but you did this. and You know, I stopped doing that because now I, I go and I'm like, Holy Spirit, what is the outcome that you want out of this? Holy Spirit, would you lead me towards that? Would you say what I have to say? And sometimes it comes through a text message. Sometimes it comes through one of our leaders saying, hey, that was a bit much, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like sometimes and the Holy Spirit is, is correcting you and is changing you and is transforming you. And sometimes that comes through your mentor and your authorities, but sometimes that comes through people that are below you and as far as like authority goes. But you just have to be sensible to what he is saying and say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me in this? So, my call to pray tonight is this. Do you know His goodness towards you? You don't know His goodness towards you if you've been complaining about people. Well, I haven't. That person doesn't care about me because they don't call me anymore. That person doesn't have to call you. Sorry. Uh... My parents don't care about me. <laughs> I don't know if that's the next one, right? Like, we, we have these expectations of people. Like, you should have known, like, how I felt. Yeah, don't have a magic ball here. Or like, and even if there was, I wouldn't use it. I'm just saying, right? Like, like how are you, how are you supposed, how is that person supposed to know you're mad at them unless you talk to them? Right? So we set these expectations but that's not what God did. He didn't expect Rahab, Rahab, why don't you clean up? Why don't you get a new job? You know, one more like credible. We can, we can talk about maybe including you in the lineage of my son and savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe we can talk that. No, God didn't put any expectations on them. So no, I just extend this love towards you. In your mess, in your prostitution, I chose you to carry this out. So why do we go around having this of people? If you encounter friends that love you, 
appreciate them for who they are. There's God's, gra- they're, they're God's grace in your life, and they'll fail you. They'll, they'll, they won't call you. They'll ignore you at times. And sometimes they might be going through their own troubles, and, and they just want to be left alone. last thing I want you to do is to go up to this person like, hey, why don't you call me? What's going on? Try to come in with a heart of understanding. And say, hey, how can I come? Are you going through a rough time? Because I want to come here and pray with you. And hey, by the way, this thing that you said, it hurt me. But I already forgave you because the things that I've done and God has forgiven me for, Every single day that I hurt him daily and the way I walk. So as we we see his love towards us, we extend that. And then the last kind of part of this whole thing is one of the most important things, I would say. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit about every single situation. Lord, what do you want me to say to my friend? You know that that was not right. I need to confront him about it, but Lord, how do I be... How do I be, you know, kind towards them? Because I've done it so many times, and like I'll confess before you guys, where you're mad, and, and then somebody says something, and you just snap, and you go off. And you're like, what was that? You know what was that? It was me ignoring the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, no, 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 no. Like, ah, and you go, and you say whatever you have to say. But the more you listen to him, the more you give way to him, the more you'll start hearing him. And that voice will get so loud that you just like, you just can't ignore it. So many times it's like the Holy Spirit's like, walk away, just walk away. I do love my parents. Every single time I disagree and I do want to disrespect them, the Holy Spirit would be like, walk away now. This is a really good time to walk away now. And I would just walk out of the room. I'm like, dad, I, I got to go. Um, can we talk about it tomorrow? You know, Sure. So that's my hope, is that you encounter him, and you extend that, and then you walk with the Spirit. Would you stand with me? I'm going to call you to prayer. I'm going to ask you if you, this is one small prayer that I'm going to ask you to do, and ask yourself, have you been having expectations of people that were not met, and that makes you angry? Maybe because you don't know what Christ has done for you and have embraced that. And because of that, he can extend that. Are you asking the Holy Spirit every single time you're going, you know you're about to sin. You know that you're about to get in a fight. You know all these things. Are you asking the Holy Spirit to lead you on this? Are you pausing before that and say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me in this? Because if you're not, your eye or your ego is on the throne room of your life. It's not the Holy Spirit. And that needs to be removed. Amen? So ask yourself this, and if you have to repent, come before the Lord and say, Lord, would you forgive me of this? Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.